today's reading can be found on page 911 of your Bibles on the seats next to you. This is God's word. Jesus spoke to them again in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants and mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I have invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the street and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. The word of the Lord. Yeah, it's good being here. It's always different preaching at a different church, especially when the stand's so low. <laughs> Whoa! That's as high as it goes. I'm just not gifted. I'll let them do it. But while he does that, will you guys pray with me? <laughs> hey, magic. Perfect. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we praise you for who you are, that you are a God that loves us, uh, a God that has called us your own. And Father, we know that we come here at different points. Uh, some of us have weeks that have been filled with joy and happiness, and others may have had weeks where it's been hard, sorrow and pain. Uh, but Father, the one thing we know that each and every one of us is a mess, and we're all in need of your grace, and it's something that you have given freely to us and poured out. And Father, we say thank you for that. In your name, amen. Good to be in here. It's always interesting when the pastor of the church is actually listening to you preach. So, hey, Mark. <laughs> So we're just going to kind of jump right in. So we kind of have this passage and it starts off and the king is throwing a party. Now, I mean, you finally get the moment where you get invited to the royal wedding. I mean, if you were my wife, that's something you would have wanted to go to your entire life. And it finally comes. I mean, this is like the event of all events. This is the nicest thing that you'll ever go to in your life. This is the moment that you've wanted to be. I mean, anyone who is anyone is going to be there and you, you want to partake in that. And so you have this moment where this wedding is here and the king sends out his people to go tell them it's time to come. To tell those that he had already invited to his son's wedding, he says, hey, it's time for the feast. Come celebrate with us. And we're told they refused his invitation. So then the king decides, you know what? Let's send out a few more people. So he sends out some more people, and then the people respond by doing this really odd thing. They kill the servants that are inviting them. Like, really? Like, think about that. Of all the things and all the ways you're going to respond, like killing the servant who invited you to the greatest party ever is not a normal way to act, right? I mean, come on, you could have said anything. And maybe they're thinking, oh, the king will finally get it. I don't want to come to the wedding if I kill this guy. <laughs> so, I mean, like, think about it. So, you know, Mark and Lisa are throwing their big party and you can finally get the invitation. You're thinking, great, got to hang out with Mark tonight. 
Like, Lisa would be fun, but Mark's there, so not so sure I want to go, right? I mean, you could come up with any excuse, right, before the idea of killing Mark would pop into your head, right? I mean, that's not a social norm, right? Like, I mean, think about it. Anything would have worked up to that point. Like, Mark, yeah, I never got the invitation. Mailman came, stepped on a landmine, must have lost in an explosion, right? I mean, you could think of anything, anything except for that. But their first response is, let's kill the messenger. I mean, that's perfectly normal. So they, for some reason, they decide they're going to do this, and we're told the king responds in kind. The king doesn't take so kindly to people killing his messengers. So who were these people that did this thing? I mean, these are like the social elite. These are the people who have everything figured out. They're the ones that know like, what to wear and when to wear, right? They're not like me who just pulls on anything that goes with jeans, because that's why I wear jeans everywhere, right? They're the ones that can go to the party, and they see all the forks, and they know what each fork is actually for, and they just don't work from the out in, but they know what each one does. You know, they drive the nice car, they have the good job, they have everything together. I mean, they're the people that walk into a royal wedding, and they make the place seem classier, I mean, that's what I think about myself. You know, I walked into this room and you're all like, this place feels classier right now because Brayden has walked into this room. I mean, that's kind of what you're thinking, right? I mean, these are the people. I mean, these are the Pharisees who are standing in the temple reading off the list of all the good things that they have done. They are Zacchaeus who is boasting about what a crooked beggar he is. They are you and they're me. I mean, that's who we are in this story. We're the people who have been invited. We're the people who might have it all together, that we look like we have everything together, but when it comes time, we say, that's not for me. Uh, Tim Keller talks about this, and he says, it's when you're baptized. You said you're coming. If you were baptized, you made this declaration. You said, I'm in. But then are you actually coming? You're up late at night and you have that moment where you're in stress and you're praying to God and you say, God, you know, I need your help now. Whether your kid is sick or something's going on, you cry out to God and say, God, if you help me here, then I will do it. Well, did you ever come? Or have you just put on the outside and said, you know what, I am, I'm, I'm all together, I'm in, I'm in. But the second that anything has to be done, it's kind of like, well, I'm not so sure that's for me. And so the question is, are you standing on the outside saying you're coming, but when the time comes, you say, not so much for me? Or are you inside celebrating in the feast? Are you taking a part of the celebration that there is? And we see these people who are invited. They had it all together. They looked like where they're coming. When the time came, they said, that's not for me. They saw the offer of what was there, and they decided, you know what? I have something better on my own. I can do something better my own way. Ultimately, they're saying, you know what? Nobody can tell me how I'm supposed to live. Nobody can tell me what I'm supposed to do. Nobody can tell me how I'm supposed to act. I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm going to run life the way I want it to be run. The idea that as if I just work hard enough, it's, you know, it'll all work. Right? Like, when I get into heaven, that's not a problem. Like, I can just list off all the good things that I have done. And God will say, you know what? It's okay. Um, at Granite Springs, at the church I'm at, one of the first questions we ask people when they come to be members of our church, uh, one of the pastors asks this question, he says, if you died today and went to heaven and you're standing at the gates, and let's say Peter's at the gate and he says, why should I let you in? 
I love the responses that we get because some people like they squirm a little bit when they hear that question and sometimes some people say a response like well you know I've tried really hard I've worked things I've volunteered in children's ministry and that alone you know should get me into heaven if you work with kids you know and they'll come through all of these things and you're thinking that's not quite it and then we have this one lady who we asked that question I remember her just sitting there and kind of like staring blankly into the wall and she said you know what not because of anything I did. Because if that was the case, there's no way I'm getting into that place. There's another place for me. She was honestly, when I came to this church, I didn't come because I wanted to hear anything about God, because I didn't want to hear anything about the gospel. I came here because I wanted my kids to have this good moral teaching. So that's why I came to church. And then she goes, one day I'm sitting in church and I'm hearing this message and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's for me. This message of being invited was for her. And so we have the story of you're invited. And the king responds to these people who say, you know what, I don't want to be a part of it. And he responds by killing off everyone. Okay, so I mean, that's a great way to respond to someone who turns down your invitation. He kills every single person. And I think part of the reason Jesus did this is because he wanted the people to see the way they thought, the way they acted, it's dead wrong. They don't quite get it. And so the king now has this great party because he just murdered everybody else and he has all this food that he's ready and there's no one there. So he sends off his servants to go invite more people. And then they come and there's not quite enough people so he goes and sends out and gets even more people and goes to the farthest corners and just invites anyone and everyone they find. And finally they have this huge festivities. Okay, so the king goes out and he invites those who are good and those who are bad those who have their life together and those who are a mess. You know, it's, I love this part of the passage because this is finally the moment where I get invited to the party. This is finally the moment where Jesus says, you know what, you're invited to the party. You may not look like you have your life together. You might think I'm a mess. You might think that everything's wrong, but this is when I've been invited into the party. This is when Jesus says the invitation is for you. It's for you who struggles with things. It's for you who has a hard time. The king is throwing a party for the liars, for the thieves, for the prostitutes, for everyone who's on the outcast. Jesus says, this party is for you. And that's one of my favorite things about this parable because finally I'm invited and I like to be invited. And so we have this party that's just thrown. I mean, imagine you just get done murdering a city and devastating it all. Like you don't have that much time to invite everybody and get things together. So they quickly go out, bring all these people in. And all of a sudden there's this guy who's there, right? I mean, he just got pulled off of the street. He's probably changing the oil in his truck. And the servant says, the king's having a party. You need to come. Okay. So this is how I imagine this. He's thrown into this party, right? So if you were to pull me off of the street just one random day, if you come to my house quickly and say, hey, we're going to party right now, we've got to go. Okay, I'm probably in a sports jersey. Like, let's be honest. Like, I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm probably wearing my Seahawks jersey. And that's what I'll be wearing. And that's if I'm really dressed up at home. Okay? And so here you have this guy that's pulled off the street, thrown into this party. And honestly, this guy probably didn't have any nice clothes. To have wedding garments at the time, you had to be someone who was a little bit wealthier right? Because I don't just carry tuxedos around my house because I would never wear it. So if I had to wear one, I'd be without anything. And you see this guy who's pulled off of the street, probably wearing dirty clothes with oil on them. And he steps into the party and the king looks at him and says, hey, how'd you get in here? 
right? Like, wear your wedding clothes. And you've got to be thinking at that moment. Like, I'm, if I'm that guy, I'm thinking, this guy has to be a bad dream, right? Like, I'm standing here naked in front of everyone. Like, it's one of those dream moments where you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're wearing the wrong clothes or whatever it is. And the king says, hey, how'd you get in here? I mean, that has to be like one of those terrible dreams where you're thinking, what? You just pulled me off the street. You just murdered an entire town. You invite me in quickly. You didn't give me any time. And then you ask me the question, where are your clothes? I don't know about you, but that's like terrible. Like that's not who I want to be because that's me in the story. That's me when Jesus says, Braden, what are you doing wearing a Seahawks jersey here? That's not okay. Like, it's not okay to be like that. And then the story goes on, and it says the king ties him up and throws him out into the darkness. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but this is one of the happiest parables I have ever heard in my life, right? The king's servant gets murdered. He destroys an entire city. He finally decides to invite everyone, and I'm excited because I get invited, but I'm wearing the wrong clothes. And then I get tied up and thrown outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, like the word of the Lord, let's go home and sing happy songs, right? I mean, that, that, that's not great. That's not good news. We've been looking at these, like, what we've called the terrible parables. I think you guys did something on that. You know, and so we're looking at that and thinking, like, what on earth? Like, who does this? And so we look at this guy who was invited, right? He probably didn't know what fork to use. He probably didn't know what clothes he was supposed to wear. He probably didn't know any of those things, and to have that status where he'd actually have clothes was so out of reach, he could have never imagined ever being invited to a king's wedding. So why on earth would he have any of that? And so the king reaches out to him and says, why aren't you wearing the right clothes? Why aren't you dressed up like everybody else? And so we're told that when you read through the commentaries, that if someone would have been invited to a party like this, they wouldn't have been expected to have their own clothes. But the king, at his own cost, out of his own personal wealth, out of his own goodness, would have provided the clothes that you needed. He said, come on into the party, and at my cost, I'm going to invite you in. But not only that, but I'm going to clothe you with what you need. Because I know that you don't have it. But here, let me provide it for you. And so we see this guy who's invited into the party, who is given these clothes that he needs to be part of this royal celebration. And he says, "Mm, that's not for me. And so he turns down this gracious invitation from the king, this awesome gift that he's given, and he walks in to the party. Very similar to the story that we're told, that we have a God who at his own great expense, at his own great cost, paid the price for us to be invited who paid the cost for us so that not on our own act, because we know if we try to walk in, we're wearing a Seahawks jersey, and there's no way you get into heaven with that. But God says, I've paid the cost for you. I've come here to clothe you so that you can be in, not by what you've done, but what I have done. And so we see this parable is kind of a story of two hypocrites. We have the first set of people who have their life together, who have everything figured out, but when the time comes to say, mm, I don't want to be a part of that. I mean, they're kind of like, I'm sure none of you guys are these people, but they're the ones who talk about you know, being the environmentalist, having everything together, you know, saving energy, cutting down, but then when you look at their home, they make Las Vegas look like they're green. You know? 
They're the people who say, who leave this church and say, oh, have a blessed day, and then they get in their car, and, you know, and like they peel out like a demon straight out of hell or whatever it is. You know, they have all these things. Or you talk about how you know, you're concerned about the schools, you're concerned about the government, you're concerned about all these things, but yet you don't do anything about it. You don't want to get involved. You just like to elevate yourself and your own social status and inflate your own self-worth because, you know what, I'm better than all of that. But you know what? That's one form of hypocrisy, but we have this other form of hypocrisy that's just as dangerous, it's just as deadly as the elevation of the self-worth. It's thinking little of yourself. It's thinking that you're not worth it, that you actually would never be invited into this party. That you know what? You've got nothing together. Even though you have your college degree, even though you know what every little fork does, even though you can speak three languages and you've done all of these things, you're afraid that someone's finally going to call out to you and say, hey, what are you doing here? You feel that you don't fit in. You have this feeling that no matter what happens, there's no way that you could get invited into a party like this. And so you live in this terrible fear that at some moment, someone's going to call you out. That at some moment, someone's going to say, you don't belong here. And so you live in this fear that you know, nothing in your life is good. And you're terrified of being like this man thrown into the outer darkness. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, we think that's where we actually belong. That we actually belong on the outside. And we're afraid that someone's going to notice that. And then someone is going to throw us outside. One of my good friends who's also a pastor, we met for coffee one day and he said, Braden, I'm terrified. Because I'm in charge of all these people and I preach this message on Sunday and I'm afraid that at some moment they're going to realize I'm a fake. I'm afraid that at some moment they're going to realize that I actually struggle with my faith. That, you know, that I have a hard time reading scripture and getting into prayer. That I have a hard time doing all these things. I am terrified that at some moment someone will say, Pastor, you're a fake. His fear is that at some moment someone is going to notice him. You know, in the dreams that you have about maybe like, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, in the wrong clothes, you know, standing in front of people in your underwear, whatever, you know, your big dream fear is. The thing that's worse than standing in front of a group of people in your underwear, well, that'd be terrifying for me, but the thing that's worse than that is someone actually notice, noticing you. The thing that's worse than trying to fake it and being afraid that someone's going to call you out, is that someone actually is going to call you out. The fear is that someone's going to actually tap on your shoulder and say, friend, the word should probably be buster. Buster. <laughs> you don't belong here. You're in the wrong clothes. And that is the moment that the fear <laughs> seems worse. But in that moment, it's not just fear, but there's actually hope. There's actually like this moment of where someone says, you know what, there's no longer the two yous. You know, the, the you you have in public where you look like you have it all together and then the you you actually have at home where you're terrified. When that person finally taps on your shoulder and says, Buster, friend, it's time to take off the mask. It's not Halloween anymore. There's actually a moment for wholeness. That you're no longer struggling between who you are in public and who you are on the inside. 
You're no longer having to have these two identities, but instead you can finally be real because finally someone noticed you for who you actually are. Someone actually tapped you on the shoulder and says, I noticed who you are. I've noticed how you're acting. And you know what? You don't have to do this. That there's actually a possibility to be whole. And when that happens, things change. When that happens, it no longer has to be the way it was. That things can be made new and can be made complete. That no longer are you trying to live with these two yous. When you watch a movie, it's really easy to see the characters that do that, right? It's really easy to see the characters who are living two different lives because we get to see the whole movie. And we notice that they're living these two lives and you see how it's terrible for them and how everything's going wrong. But finally, oftentimes in the movie, someone reaches out to them and calls them out for it. And it's this obvious moment that now they finally realize what they've done and they can actually change. And in our story, we have the man who is invited into the party who is trying to live these two yous. And finally the king says, hey, friend, what you doing? And I always thought, like, why would the king throw him out? Why didn't the king just say, hey, I've got an extra set of clothes right here? Why didn't the king do anything? And I don't know for sure, but I think it's because of the man's response. The king tapped on him and said, friend, what you doing? Friend, why, why are you trying to live life in this way? And the man's response, I think, tells everything. He doesn't respond. He stares back at the king with no words. Maybe he's thinking, I don't care what you think. Maybe he's thinking anything. I really think all the king wanted was some response. Just anything. Just some recognition of it. But this man has no response to it. He doesn't do anything. And so the king throws him outside. It's an invitation when Jesus said, are you coming? And you were baptized, if you were, you said that you're coming. In a little bit, we're going to come to the Lord's table, which is a moment, an invitation where Jesus says, I've invited you, and are you coming? And you get to make a statement that says, I'm coming. You get to make something. Because when you come to the table, it's the realization that it's not what I've done, it's not how hard that I've worked, it's nothing on my own because I'm just like that guy, but it's actually because the King God said, I've given it freely for you. There's a Jewish tradition that dates back a little bit before communion. And when you would take the bread, you would break it, very similar to ours, and you'd hold the piece of bread and you'd make a declaration. And you'd say, God, I have a messed up in my life. I have fallen short. I've been a terrible spouse. I've done all these things. And they list off everything that had gone wrong. It in essence, would be like their confession of their sins. And then they would, they would take the wine. And in the wine, they'd make a statement and say, you know what? I know all of these things that I have done. But now I'm turning around. The things are going to be different. That no longer am I going to try to keep going down the same path, but I'm going to I'm going to change the direction that I'm going. Now in communion, there's something similar, but the story is a whole lot better. The story isn't a list of all the things that I've done wrong and that I'm going to try to do better. The invitation of the story is we come to the table and God says, I know all the things that you have done wrong. I know all of the mistakes that you have made. 
I know the two yous that you're trying to live, that you try to look like you have it all together in your life, but really you're a mess and you're broken inside. But guess what? I've paid that price for you. That with this cup, I invite you in to the party. That with this cup, I clothe you. That at the table, God finally taps us on the shoulder and says, Friend, it doesn't have to be like this anymore. Don't have to battle between the two yous. And so we are called to the table. We're called to the table that changes us. We're called to the table that changes our clothes. We're called to the table where God says, Friend, I've paid that price for you. Come on in. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. That you have looked at us and you've seen all of our mistakes and all of our shortcomings, but yet you say, I want you. And Father, I thank you for that. And Father, that amongst all of my shortcomings and all of my failures, I know that you have loved me and that you have paid the price for me. And Father, I thank you for that. And Father, I pray that we as a church would come to know the price that you have paid and the grace that you have given freely to us. And in your name we pray. Amen.